0: Okay, guys. Well, you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter two. We're in a great gospel. It's a gospel written by Matthew. If you have a Bible, grab it. I want to tell you, if you don't, let's get you one. Uh, you, I want y'all not on your phones doing it. That's okay. There's no guilt and shame. But I, I'm telling you, <clears throat> this book right here, like I, no joke. There are certain things in here. I know what side of the what side of the page it's on. You begin to develop a kind of like a a a symbiotic relationship with the word when you take this and you read it on a daily basis, okay? And so you're coming in here and you're hearing me, you know, the scripture poured through personality, which is preaching. But man, you got to know that God wants to teach you as well. And you live in a country where opening your Bible will not get you killed. You can do it. And people in other countries are looking at you, shaking their head, going, why wouldn't you? Because all they get is a page. Man, guys, you get to have the whole book, the whole letter, right? This gift. Use it. All right? All right. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 2. Where's the mascot? I messed up. Where are you at? No, you're at the end. Who was it was supposed to read? This is me. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Figuring myself out right now. We're going to read it. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Let me read this uh, to you guys. Dive in; it's going to be so good. So good. All right, there we go. All right, here we go. Verse thirteen. Would you guys stand? I forget we do this. Let's do this. Come on. Making the word of God something that we have reverence for. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him." And he rose, took the child with his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under According to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then, he, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice, has been, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying... It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. All right. Have you, any of you guys ever uh, had the question come across your mind? Maybe you've asked it, maybe you thought it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever thought that? Anybody wrestle with that? Let's kind of like, let's expand that just a little bit. Have any of you guys ever had, not just why do bad things happen to good people, but man, why do bad things happen to me? Or why aren't things the way I'd like them to be, right? I I was telling everybody this morning, I had a friend who was spending some time with a a new friend of his who is 26 years old. He's a ski instructor, and he just inherited $180 million. Does anybody in here go, why doesn't that happen to me? Anybody ever feel that way? Not only why do bad things happen to good people, but why why aren't good things happening to me. Why wasn't I 6'5"? I could have played D1 basketball, right? You know, why wasn't I smart enough to get into that school? Why uh, did I have to marry that guy? Why am I still single? Why, you know, do I not inherit $180 million? Why am I, you know, you describe whatever you want. Every one of us in the room have wrestled with that, right? That's the, one of the most human things that all of you in here feel. Why is it this way? Well, we're looking at Matthew, and Matthew is a, is a letter written to Jewish Christians by a Jewish Christian, okay? A tax collector. He, he was an absolute rebel against the people of God, and then he became a person who wrote the best gospel to the people of God. And as he writes this, he has them in mind. And he's telling us the story of Jesus, and he's telling us uh, uh, just this miracle of how uh, God has sent some angels to move Jesus out at just the right time. But in the middle of this story is just this horrible moment that we can't can't look past. It's one of those moments where we could see the sovereignty of God in saving Jesus, but then we also see that somewhere between 10 to 30 boys are murdered. And if you read it properly, it it should incite in you just a sickness, an anger and a frustration at the way that the world is. Why does this have to happen? Anybody ever feel that? I do. I feel it all the time. Why does this have to happen? And so in this passage, we're going to look at this. We're going to dive right into that question. We're going to, we're going to run right into it, and I'm going to give you some, uh, some handholds, some answers that you could begin to pray through and think through and use for your own heart and your own life, but you could also pass really use for others. But we're going to also see how God is, guys, listen, He is God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and there is absolutely nothing that is outside of His view and outside of His control. And it's amazing But we're going to take that God, we're going to take this world we live in, and we're going to see, how do these two things go together? You ready for that? You ready to jump in? So we're going to look at that, all right? There's going to be three dreams, there's going to be three fulfillments in this passage, and we're going to look at three different points. You ready? The points are this, warning, warring, okay, and waiting, all right? Let's say it, warning, warring, and waiting. All right, these guys are doing great, the rest of you are still catching up. Awesome. All right, let me ask you guys a quick question. We're in warning. So it's, this is verses 13 to 15. Do you ever wish in your life that somebody would have come into your life and warned you about something? Anybody? You wish somebody came along and be like, hey, hey, I just got to tell you. Okay? Well, in verse 12 last week, we read about the wise men. They get a dream, and they're warned by this angel to not return to Herod, but to leave. And so what do they do? They leave and go a different way. But what do they not do before they leave? Anybody notice? What do they fail to do? They don't warn Joseph. Is that, you notice that? These guys get a warning, don't go to Herod, he's dangerous, he wants to kill the kid. Okay, and what do they do? They pack up their stuff, they leave, and they don't tell the family of the kid. Would you be like, Joseph, how does Joseph feel if he knew this? Are you kidding me? Anyone warn me? You want to tell me? Right? Okay. But then we see God being rich in knowledge, rich in power. He sends an angel to Joseph to warn Joseph, and he and so Joseph gets up, he gets on the 75-mile journey from where he is in Bethlehem to go down to Egypt. Egypt is a place that is under Roman occupation, okay? But it's not in Herod's jurisdiction. Not to mention there's also a million Jews who live in Egypt because of fleeing, because of Roman occupation in previous days. So it's a safe place for them to go and be. It's a perfect place for Jesus' family to go and live as exiled refugees. Now, what do we see, though, in these first three verses that we've got to hone in on and understand? Well, we see two things that I want to show you guys, all right? Number one is the sovereignty of God, and the next one is census planur, or in French, right? All right? You want to try saying that? Say pleneur. All right, so you're going to see the sovereignty, sovereignty of God, census plural, the French can help me with this. We've got some French in this room, it's awesome. And, uh, so, uh, so let's talk about the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? Well, sovereign is somebody who rules and reigns over a particular area. The sovereignty of God is that God knows absolutely everything that there is to know. We call this omniscience, all-knowing. The thoughts you're having right now, he knows them. How many hairs are on your head, or for a few of us, not on our head? He knows what number that is, every, how many breaths you've had, how many heartbeats you had, how many atoms are in the heart in your chest. He knows absolutely every single thing there is to know in the planet. Okay? Number two, he is also completely and absolutely powerful. So he knows all things, he has all power. And so therefore, if he's the one being in this whole cosmos who knows all things, has all power, he rules and reigns over all. He has the power to control and he knows exactly what needs to be done. Do you understand? These two things fall into the sovereignty of God. It's so much bigger than that, but that's what you need to know. Okay, now let's move on to census plenor. What is the census plenor? All that really means is fuller sense. You're like, why didn't you just say that? because I just want to look smart and cool in front of you, okay? It's just the way it is. It means fuller sense, okay? So in this case, it applies to the fulfillment of a prophecy in Hosea, okay, in these first three verses, that God was going to call his son out of Egypt, okay? Anybody anybody grow up in and around church and know the story of people getting pulled out of Egypt? Anybody just raise your hand, feel confident for a hot second? Great. Um, For the Jewish Christian... Do you think that this would have conjured up powerful images? The sea, uh, the most significant event in Jewish history of God rescuing, rescuing and redeeming a million people out of slavery, is being tied to a boy in Bethlehem, a boy who will be called out of Egypt. And so, what's happening here is that it's just an absolute beautiful thing. It's giving a fuller sense. Of what's going on. Jesus is the fuller sense of this Exodus, okay? So, what does this have to do with us? Why does this matter to the sovereignty of God in the fuller sense, okay? It matters in every single way, okay? So, listen. So, let's get back to warning. I'm sure that every single one of you in this room has had moments in your life where you wish that someone would have warned you, okay? Probably in two different ways. Maybe they would have warned you of the consequences of the decision you're making. Anybody ever have that? Don't do it. All right? Okay. And then the second one is maybe a warning about some circumstances that are coming your way. Anybody ever have one of those? So uh, let me give you a story from my life about just a a warning I wish I had gotten about sin. When I was uh, in high school, I was at a military school. And when I was at this military school, I thought it would be really cool to just stop listening to my superior superior officers Uh, Stop showing up for formations. I would skip class when I want, smoke weed, fight in our rooms. And uh, I thought I was really cool when on Christmas break, I got a letter in the mail that said, hey, you are no longer welcome back to the New Mexico Military Institute. I was like, look how cool and tough I am. Right? But I tell you right now, a few months later, I would have cried out in wishing that someone would have warned me that the direction I was heading in was leading to the greatest depression and isolation and loneliness I've ever felt in my life, to the point of despair, wishing that I did not live. Let me give you an example of circumstance. I don't know if you know my friend Ashley Lonval. She's sitting in the back, but she's not sitting in a chair like yours. She's sitting in a wheelchair. But she wasn't always sat in a wheelchair. Do you think that Ashley wishes that someone would have warned her that when she slipped and fell and she was going to if, to get off of that fence, or because uh, when she slips and falls, she's going to land on that handle of a pitchfork, and it's going to break her spine and lead to paralysis. Do you think that she wishes someone would have warned her? Do you think? Now, let me ask you. She spent the last 24 years in a wheelchair, right? I never got to go back to that military school. Okay, I wish that someone would have warned me. She wishes someone would have warned her. Did God know About the consequences of both of our decisions. Was he aware? You sure? Absolutely he was. God was completely aware. Do you think he had the ability to maybe send us an angel in a dream and say, hey, Ashley, don't sit on any fences today. Hey, Greg, this is not going to go well. Did he have the ability to send me an angel? Absolutely he did. But he didn't. He did not. For Ashley and for me, in both of our situations. Okay, so friends, this is where the difficulty begins this morning, and talking about why do bad, evil, horrible things, things like paralysis for a lifetime, why do they happen to good people? Why does it happen? And so this is where the challenging question is going to begin, but before we move deeper into this question, before I take us all the way there, I got I to set you up, and I got to build you up, and we're going to start by Just appreciating your free will. Everybody say free will. will. Okay, let's appreciate the free will that God has given you. So if you don't know this in your Bible, if you go to the very beginning, it explains to you that you've been given free will. You've been given the ability to make decisions. In the beginning, God created the world, and he created it free from death, free from paralysis, free from the consequences of military school infractions. Okay, Free from military schools, thank God. And uh, in that place, that world, guys, listen to me. You can't even understand it. It was free from sin. Everything about it was good. This is so important you understand this. You've got to know that it was good. But in that garden, in that place of complete goodness and innocence, God allowed there to be a choice. And there has to be a choice, or else you don't have freedom, right? If I told you, you're going to do this, and this is what you're going to do, do you have a choice? Well, you do because you've been given freedom because God has given you the ability to make choices. But am I making it seem like you have a choice? No. And so what God designed for you to be able to have freedom and for you to have freedom, there had to be a choice. And the choice is between two things. Listen to me. This is the choice that you still have to this day. It's the choice to trust God and believe that the way that he designed the world and everything about the way the world works is right and good and best for you. Or simply to just reject God and rewrite it the way you want. That's it. Now do you guys know what happened? Adam made a choice. he chose to reject God and because of that rejection, sin entered the world. That was a sin. sin is a rejection of just the uh, it's a rejection of God. So like, I don't want what you want. all right? And so he chooses that and that sin, has a consequence, which is separation from God, and it leads to brokenness and pain. Within one generation, you have brothers killing each other. You know, between the next generations, you have men abusing women and dominating others and murdering each other. It just gets just like so. What happens is through that one man's sin, sin spread to all men, and all men sin. Did you know that? And women do as well. Do you know that you're a sinner? Okay? You are, you're just a rotten sinner. You're wicked. You're broken. This whole thing, you swim in a world of brokenness. And so do I, and so am I. Okay? Now, this is, man, so good. Because the reality is, every moment of your existence, every moment you live, you live in a broken world. And so, listen to this. I live in this world. I cannot help but be broken. So, if God would have sent that angel to come and warn me that, Greg, if you make this decision, it's going to, it's going to lead to some pain, bro. You're going to feel more isolated and alone and depressed. You're going to think about taking your own life. You know what? You know, if he would have sent me that warning, and maybe I would have heeded that warning, I still was going to sin. I still was going to make choices of sin. If God would have went to Ashley and said, hey, don't, don't watch out for every pitchfork today, okay? Okay? The reality is she may have been able to walk like all of you, but she still would have been living in a world that is broken, and that physical brokenness would still have been applied to her life. Do you know that? Death is still coming to Ashley's life, just like it's coming to yours, even though you can walk. Do you see? He could have warned both of us, but it still never took away the reality that we live in a world that is broken. Do you hear me? Why is it broken? Because we made a choice. Were we warned? We were absolutely warned. Genesis chapter two, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. A choice and a warning. You have been warned and it doesn't matter. Because of the way we are, guys, we still keep choosing. It. And this, ah, is what makes the fuller sense of calling Jesus out of Egypt, so beautiful, so amazing, okay? This is what makes the fuller sense of the Exodus, being Jesus himself special and wonderful, and I hope it sinks down into your human soul. You see, God is too in love with you to leave you in the consequences of your sins. He's like a lover who just cannot leave you in pain and leave you in destruction. And so God did something by sending his son so that he could give you, because you had a choice, you made that choice, now you have no choice. And Jesus coming to earth is God giving you another chance. It's giving you a choice again. Okay, we see this vividly in the Exodus. In fact, God repeatedly in the Old Testament calls his people back to remember what he did in Egypt. And what did he do in Egypt, guys? There was was this slavery that the people of God lived in under a man named Pharaoh. He was brutal. Okay, We also know that he, he murdered not just 10, 30 children. He murdered thousands of Hebrew children. And God miraculously and powerfully rescued his people out of slavery to Pharaoh and brought them out to be a people of his own possession. Isn't that amazing? It's a brilliant story. You read it and you're like, wow, this happened? It's great, but we Christians, when we read this story and we look back at it, we know something even bigger and better about it, don't we? We know that that story tells us another story, a more fuller and bigger and more beautiful story, that that amazing story was just a setup for the real deal. And the real deal is this. God did not come to save us From slavery to men, he came to save us from slavery to sin. Let me say it again. God did not come to save you from the consequences of living in a broken world. He came to fix your brokenness. Wow. Romans chapter 8, best chapter in the best book of the best book in the entire world. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, listen, of adoption as sons and daughters. By whom? By Jesus. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paralyzed children, right? Amen? Standing children. But we're children nevertheless. Because of what Jesus did. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. Guys, the greatest tyrant on earth is Satan, and he does exist. He's probably not here right now, thank God, but he exists. And his greatest weapon is death, and it's undefeatable. Do you know that? Every single man, every single woman on earth is going to have to face it. And every single man and every single woman who's ever faced death has lost Except for one man, Jesus. I love the little voices. Jesus. Only one man has defeated death. 2 Timothy 1.10, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Right? Since therefore the children share in flesh, as of Hebrews chapter 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. <laughs> what he's saying, guys, is he may leave you in slavery to Pharaoh, but you're free from the slavery that Pharaoh's enslaved to sin and death. You guys know what scripture says? Right? Where death is your sting? Right? Where's your victory? You ain't got nothing on me anymore. I may sit in a wheelchair, I may struggle with an addiction, I may, be, uh, I may be short, I may be round, I may be tall, I may be not very smart, I might be not enough, I might have bad things going on in my life, but at the end of the day, the one great problem that no one can seem to solve, Jesus solved it by beating up death on a cross. Amen? And because of that, your stupid free will that got you in trouble that you love so much Jesus, by his own free will, stepped into a garden and said, God, not my will, but your will be done. And then he created a choice that you get to have, which is, will you choose to trust God or not? You've got more reason to trust him than anybody in humanity, than anybody in history. Because you're on this side of the cross, and we know what Jesus has done for us. Isn't that amazing? You go, oh, man, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Let's sing. Let's just pray and get out of here. But you still haven't answered my question. Hold on a second. Wow, that's awesome, Greg. <laughs> I love that. Hey, but why is there still pain? Why is there still evil? Why is there still this abortion and death of children? And why, do, why is there cancer? And why is there divorce? And why is there this drug addiction? Why do I feel so depressed? Like, what, what's going on? Is this salvation just for our eternal thing? Or does it have something to do with today? All right, let's go there. Guys, there's, still a, there's a war going on. We're still warring. Verse 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old and under, uh, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. I love, I love our Bible. Our Bible is not something that, you know, men over time slowly made better, right? Every time I hear somebody say that, I go, okay, hold on a second. You've never read the Bible. The Bible is the realest book that's ever been. It's so real. And so Herod plays out one of the vilest sins, a purging of children somewhere between 10 to 30 families were weeping as their their boys were drug out and beaten to death in the streets. And they could do nothing because Rome had the power. And Jesus escapes free. Like, think for a second about that. It's not just a historical thing. It actually happened. And man, it's broken. And so this world, the pharaohs, the Herods, Right? And you and me keep warring against God in this broken world. Psalm 2 1 through 3 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want you, God. Take your little Hebrew people and get out of our way. We got things we need to do. And if you even mention there's a king there, we'll kill him. We'll kill everybody in that town. Isn't that what evil men do? Right? That's what's going on right now. So what is our God doing? Why why do they do this? Well, let's just consider that. Why do men keep doing it? Why do people keep doing it? Why do you keep doing it? Why do we keep doing bad things? Well, I think it's fear. You're afraid. It's about time you admitted it. You've got pride. Many of us have thirst for power, and we abuse it. We're selfish. We're controlling. We're filled with lust of the flesh. Does that sound like a good description of anybody in the room? All apply to me. Ultimately, we all hate God. But Jesus was a threat. And so, guys, if you're a follower of Jesus' room, Jesus is a threat to these kind of men. Full of pride and fear and control and lust for power. Jesus is a threat. So if you say you want to follow Jesus, what does that make you? What does it make you? Do you know that? It's like somehow somebody convinced you through poor discipleship that you come into Jesus means it's going to be, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be really happy. right? It's never going to be hard again. They lied to you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I have to be the guy that breaks that to you. They lied. In fact, you just, you just associated with the number one most hated human being who's ever existed. Jesus Christ. Satan hates him. And if you associate with him, you're with him. But it still doesn't erase the fact, okay, why do people have the freedom to do these things? Why does God allow evil, and why does he allow the Herods and the Hitlers and the Castros to just dominate and destroy lives? If God is truly sovereign, as we described it earlier, what is he doing? This is called the problem of evil. Everyone say problem of evil. Let me see if you're with me. All right, for you, let's do it, Okay. So the problem is, there are two ways to approach this. There's the philosophical solution and the pastoral solution. I'm going to give you both. And I, listen, if you've got something to take notes, do this. Also, I'm going to put this in the resources on our website and in the app. So when you're having a conversation or you want to go review this, you need to know this. So Christians, I'm trying to, I'm trying to equip you to go be in mission. And for the rest of you who are like, I just need the answer, let me see what I can do. All right. Let's talk the philosophical solution. This is broken down into light, line time and scale. Let's first talk about light. Okay? Light. Light is the handhold that seeks to answer the question, what is evil and where did it come from? Okay? Well, here's what you need to know about evil. Evil was not created. Evil what evil is the absence of good, just as darkness is the absence of light. Okay? Evil is the absence of goodness. That is what evil is. It was not created by God. God did not create evil. Number two, line. Line, okay, this word is to answer the question, does evil disprove the existence of God? Okay? Evil proves God's existence. It doesn't disprove it because it shows that we all have a perfect standard inside of us. It's called a conscience. It proves God. This is the the basic moral argument for the existence of God. C.S. Lewis says it beautifully. How do you know a line is crooked if you don't have some idea of a straight line? Okay, light, line, time, time. This seeks to answer, does evil disprove the goodness or greatness of God? Does evil disprove the goodness or greatness of God? So here's the argument. If God is all good, he would destroy evil. Do you agree? If God is all-powerful, he could destroy evil. Do you agree? Evil is not destroyed, hence there is no such God. That's the argument. Okay? Well, there's some presuppositions about this argument. Number one, you are putting a time frame on a God who does not live in time. That's number one. Second presupposition is if you want God to destroy evil... Where do you want him to start? Okay. Usually you go, well, of course with Hitler. Okay, but hold on a second. Do you want him to start in others? Or is it okay if he starts with you? Yeah. So the biblical response to this argument is this. If God is all good, he will defeat others. Evil. Do you believe it? If God is all powerful, He can defeat evil. Do you believe it? If evil is not uh, evil is not yet defeated, hence God can and will one day defeat evil. Do you believe it? And lastly, is scale. Scale. Why does God lim- Why doesn't God limit the amount of evil? You ever felt that? Why won't you hold it back? Well, here's the thing. First of all, how could you measure the amount of evil? Anybody have an idea how to do that? Measure how much evil is out there? Number two, uh, uh, how do you know God is not currently limiting evil right now? Do you know that? Okay. Hypothetically, if God was limiting the greatest evils, wouldn't it mean that the next greatest evil would be the greatest evil? So if God says, I'm going to limit everything from murder, okay, And maybe we went to lying, then lying would be the greatest evil. Then you'd have to take out that, take out that. That's why we say scale. How are you going to measure this? Okay? So the question isn't, why does God not limit the amount of evil? But why does God allow any amount of evil, including in you? That's the question you need to ask. Why does he allow any? Well, let me give you an answer. The answer is because of his grace, his love, his patience, because ultimately he will bring justice. That's the philosophical solution to the problem. Let me give you the pastoral one. I've already been working on it with you. I've already been doing it. You know why? Because I'm a pastor. That's what we do. What a weird title. I love it. The pastoral solution. This spells fort, F-O-R-T. Something to make it easy for you to remember. Because we pastors, you know, that's what we got to do. The first is free will. We've already discussed this with you. So you want to understand the problem of evil? Well, first you've got to understand free will. We discussed this. You've got to understand that, guys, he's given you a choice. And so if he's going to limit evil, he's got to limit you. Do you understand that? He's got to shut down your free will. God created us and gave us a free will, and that freedom is to make a choice. The simple way to remember this is with the saying, God made evil possible. We made evil actual. God made evil possible, we made evil actual. Next is on the cross. This is the O. We must remember that God has done something about evil. He sent his son to die on the cross to suffer the greatest of all injustices. And we worship a God who is able to empathize with our pain. He knows how you feel better than you do. (laughs) Number three is reason. Just because we may not understand why God allows evil does not mean that God doesn't have Consider the story of Joseph and Job, and consider the story of Jesus. What did Jesus say in the garden? Do you not think that I could at any moment call down a legions of angels to defend myself? But did he? No, he didn't. Why? Because he loves you. Consider Joseph's story when his brothers throw him in a pit, then they sell him into slavery, then he ends up in a dungeon. He says in Genesis 50, to his brothers, when they feel so much remorse of the evil that they have done to their brother. He says, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Listen, guys, you have to understand that like a puzzle with missing pieces, we must trust that God sees the whole picture. You've got a little piece and you're trying to figure it out. He sees millions of pieces and he knows how they go together. And you got to trust that he's put you in the right place with the right colors connected to the right things. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Man, Lord, help me trust your heart. And that leads to the T, which is time and trust. And this is what this, pastorally I wanna tell you. In time, the Lord will ultimately do something about evil. As he says in Revelation, he says, guys, listen to this encouragement. He will wipe away every tear from every eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He is going to do it, friends. Do you trust him? Do you really believe him in a way that's going to change the way you live today? That's the philosophical and pastoral solutions, the great question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe it's not enough for you, but hopefully it's helpful. But I want you to listen, friends. God has won the war, but you still got battles you got to fight with. And as we sang in that song, you're not fighting those battles alone anymore. You don't have to fight your depression anymore. You don't have to fight your singleness alone. You do not have to fight your lack of funds alone. You don't have to fight in your marriage alone. You are fighting battles with a God who's won the war. You need to remind yourself of that every morning, Christians. Every morning. That He's with you. I don't have to be with you. I'm not that helpful anyways. He's with you. And He loves you. And He sees you. And He's fighting that battle. Friends, some of you in this room who come from just a very religious Christianity background, whatever, let me just shake off that garbage that you brought from your religiosity. Jesus does exist, and he owns the world, and he loves you. Make a decision. Will you trust him? What happens if you don't? Well, those who don't believe in God don't have a framework for the brokenness of this world, and so they say real stupid things on Instagram. Like, ah, it just happens. It's just the way it is. Eat, drink, marry. We die. Right? It's silly advice for those who are really hurting and in pain. Those who don't recognize that God is sovereign and good will never trust God. Guys, do you recognize that he's sovereign? Do you recognize that God is good, that he loves you? Those who never trust God will always live in fear of all that could happen, right? Anybody that way? Just always anxious about what might happen in your life? Or some of you, you grow numb and you grow calloused because of the things that have gone wrong. Or you numb yourself. But listen, Those who recognize the brokenness for what it is, it's a result of sin. And recognize the power and love and goodness of God and Jesus who conquered death. Those who recognize that God's patience towards us is meant to lead us to repentance. God is being patient with your evil to give you a chance to turn around and come to him. Those are the people who live sacrificial, loving lives. Unshakable peace are in their lives, and they have an unusual joy that marks them. A guy that I think about is Richard Wormbrand. I've talked about him before. Richard Wormbrand, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Torture for Christ. You should read it. Richard Wormbrand spent 12 years in a Russian communist prison getting beat to death. And he spent three of those years in solitary confinement with no comforts, nothing. And as he sat in there, just imagine the hope and despair that you could feel being totally alone in there. He was in there, and he wasn't totally alone. He knew what Paul said in 2 Timothy four seventeen, which says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know what he did? That man memorized scripture, and so he sat in there, and he would remind himself of the goodness of God for those who suffer. And he would preach the gospel through the walls of his prison to other men who did not know the gospels he had and when his, those, his, his uh, oppressors came in, he would share the gospel with them. Get beat. Get up off the floor. Go back to sharing the gospel through the walls again. For years. And you're complaining because no one in school likes you. God's more powerful than that, friend. You're complaining because you didn't get in on that business deal. Man, Jesus is trying to tell you, listen, okay, let me give you some application statements because I'm like, I don't even know what time. it's like, I'm going to watch. I'm going my watch on right now. Okay, listen. Number one, friends, please listen to me. Repent of those areas in your life where you are still warring against God himself. Is there something right now? You know it. I know, I've, I've been in this spot, and I can see you now. Listen, is there something right now you're let linger in your life that is at war with God's will in your life? I'm warning you, turn around, let it go. He is gracious, he loves you. You're not less than. But don't go to war against God. You will not win. Number two, seek the will of God in his word. If you are still struggling to make a habit of reading God's word, the problem is you. Not the Bible. It's you. You can do it. If you want, I'll give you a message version. I give it to kids all the time. All right, it's written in plain English. You can do it. Read it. Not this one verse a day garbage. Interact. You don't say one sentence to your wife a day, right? She wouldn't put up with that. Build a relationship with God through his word. Heed his warnings. And guys, listen, trust his promises. Three, surround yourself with others who will go to war with you. If you are running this race alone, you're not running as God designed for you to run. Run with others. We would like to talk to you about how to do that. we love to help you with that. But you still don't even need our help. Find other Christians who will agree with you. Make a covenant with one another that you are going to go to war against Satan and your sin Together. And they're going to bear one another's burdens, so fill the law of Christ. you're going to love one another, care for one another, speak the truth to one another, you're going to do it, okay? Make that decision. Number four, application. None of you are writing this down, but I'm just look. I'm just, hey, I only work on Sundays. not a big deal, okay? Pray for those who war against God. If you're not praying for your president, praying for your boss, praying for the top three, we've got cards in here, May God bless the people who are on our top threes. Pray for others who are not in a relationship with Jesus. Pray for them all the time. Pray for the Hitlers, but at the same time, number five, do battle against the darkness by living for Jesus in every way that you live. Young men, listen to me. Our culture doesn't know what to do with you. You've got energy, you've got excitement, you've got passion, you're kind of dumb. But I want you to know that Jesus took guys just like you. You're not the smartest, you're not the wisest, but your power is so incredibly important and you matter. And God wants to use you to be bold and courageous and go to war for him. To stand, do things that the older men are not willing to do, to get after it. You're welcome and we want you to do it. Take that power, put it in God's hands and in his control. Number six, be patient as you wait for the king to return. Guys, you gotta be patient. Let's, in this story, Joseph gets another angel that tells him, hey, Herod has died. Let's go back. When he goes back, it's this kind of anticlimactic thing. They come back, but Jesus doesn't go to the palace where Herod lived, does he? No. Archelaus is, is, is there, and Archelaus is worse than his dad, Herod. He's so bad that Caesar pulled him out after just a few years because he thought he was gonna, that guy was going to start riots. And so Jesus comes back, and does he get to go to the palace? No. He ends up going to the good-for-nothing town of Nazareth. this nobody town. Have you ever thought about that Jesus didn't come as a 33-year-old? Anybody ever thought about that? He comes as a baby. Why do you think God did that? Because God is patient. And God's not going to wave his hand to make sin go away. He's going to respect the time and space that he has created. He's going to do it within our confines. And that is why Jesus grows, and we're patient to wait for him as he grows in Nazareth. And that's why he eventually, he will get to the kingdom. He will go to Jerusalem. You remember this? He'll go to Jerusalem. People will sing, Hosanna, praises in the highest. They'll welcome him in. And then they're going to give him a crown as the king. But they give him a crown of thorns. And then they beat him, and then they put him on a cross. And they put him on that cross. Because Jesus loves you. In John 3:16, it says, "The reason why he went through all the endurance of growing up to be, exact, to be my age right now, and to die on a cross for you, hands completely out, him stripped naked in the embarrassment of a public uh, murder. He did it, and God's told you all along, for God so loved you, that He gave His only Son, that whomever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, you just have to believe. You don't have to clean your act up. You don't don't have to pay him some money. You don't have to attend church. You just have to believe. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Guys, listen to me. God is not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free from sin and death. And that's why... Whoever believes in him is not condemned. I'm not condemned. You can't hold anything against me. You won't at the gates of heaven, and he won't either. But listen, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he or she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. At the beginning we said, man, I wish somebody would just warn me about that thing. I wish somebody would have warned me about that pitchfork. But I want to tell you, here is your warning. If you do not trust Jesus You are condemned. And when he brings his condemnation into your life, it will not be a bad thing happening to a good person. It will be justice happening to a rebellious, wicked person. And if you can't handle that, it's because you're so incredibly self-righteous that you can't even believe for a second the most historically proven event that Jesus Christ lived, existed, and died, and has set people free for thousands of years. He did also for you. And your pride is still existing, and you're still an oppressor. And your sin will not only lead to consequences for you, but it's leading to consequences for others. And Jesus is saying, I love you. I want to set you free. But if you don't accept me, I will absolutely bring justice in your life. So listen, Cody people, it's time for you to make a decision. Will you choose to trust him? If you are a Christian in this room, is there any place in your life you're continuing to allow the old ways to continue to be a part of your new way? Jesus does not like to share you. He's jealous for you. He loves you deeply. Man, confess it and let it go. Bring people in your life that we might war against it so we can become more and more like Jesus together, so that more and more people might know Jesus, like our friend Bryce last week who gave his life to Christ. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, I mean, it's the most loving thing I can do to you is just to warn you, man, that your sin's going to kill you. It's already doing it. Man, if you want to be free, all you have to do, it's the same thing I did, when I was 15 years old, broken and torn apart, is I just said, Lord, I believe you, I trust you, you can be Lord of my life, and I want to follow you. And I was saved. I got baptized, and I decided I continue to walk and follow Jesus. You want to be saved? All you have to do is believe. And then come talk to me, talk to somebody, say, I need to be baptized, because I'm following Jesus. Do you hear me? We got bathtubs, we got rivers, we got water everywhere. We will, we, will, we will baptize you. And listen, Jesus loves you. We will love you. We will walk with you. If you think you've got a mess, trust us. We've got messes, too. We want to run with you. So if you're wondering why, if you're wondering why uh, bad things happen to good, peop, uh, happen to good people, you've got to know there's only one good person that a bad thing happened to, and it's your Savior, Jesus. And it ain't you. Amen? Amen? So Christians, let's be encouraged. Friends, know that we love you. And Christians... Let's get after it. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this space. Uh, We thank you that, God, you love us, that you see us. And, God, I got to sit in that garden where you prayed the words, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm amazed, God, that from right there you could see where you would be crucified. You knew exactly what you were walking into for us. Thank you, Jesus. 2005, you decided to rescue a poor, broken, depressed, isolated, alone, addicted and lost young man. And thank you that you didn't just save me, that you've been with me all along the way. And I'm so thankful, God, that my life now matters. I get to preach the gospel and people come to you. Would you help my friends see that lord would you help them see that you want to use them as well that their puzzle piece matters that they have neighbors that they have friends that they have sons and daughters who are needing freedom from sin would you help them be courageous not cowards knowing that god you're going to be with them wherever they go thank you god you are with us wherever we go thank you jesus we stand, sing and worship you, Lord. May this worship be glorified to you. This is our offering. but May we also, God, we want to give you our entire life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. You are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and sing?